Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A note for listeners. This episode contains descriptions of war. When someone abuses power... The way they convince people to see things their way often relies on a mix of propaganda, extremism and outright lies, presenting those things as undeniably true and then demanding that they accept those beliefs wholeheartedly. In other words, indoctrination. This tape is from a documentary about Peru's shining path the Maoist guerrilla organisation and terrorist group that fought a war against the Peruvian state for much of the 80s and 90s. Here, one of the group's members steps out of the crowd, a young woman in a red cardigan and straw hat with a submachine gun in her hands. For the greatest man of this era, she says. For the head of the party in the Peruvian Revolution, Presidente Gonzalo. Presidente Gonzalo was the name the leader of the Shining Path had given himself. He is the new leader of the heroic struggle, teachers of teachers, greatest of the greats. The uprising is justified, she says. What do we have? Nothing. What do we want? Everything. We want a new society without rich or poor, she says. We want a society of eternal harmony. Just like Presidente Gonzalo promised. When this documentary was made, only a handful of people knew where the leader of Shining Path was or what he was doing. Yet he had managed to start a war that would span two decades, displaced hundreds of thousands of people and killed about 70,000. For people all over the country, on all sides of the war, it felt like this one man was everywhere. And for the guerrillas who belonged to Shining Path, his word was gospel. I'm Hint Hassan, and this is Strongman, a show about power and control. And in this episode, we're taking you to Peru to look at indoctrination.
Marco Aviles is a Quechua Peruvian journalist whose work explores racism and diversity across the Americas. Marco will be narrating the story of another Quechua writer, Lurgio Gavilan, and Lurgio's experience as a child soldier. I'll let Marco take it from here. The first time I spoke with Lurgio Gavilan, he just published a memoir called When Rains Became Floods, about his experiences as a child soldier, first for Shining Path and then for the Peruvian army. I met him with my wife, who's also the executive producer of this show, at the book festival, where he was talking about his memoir. At first I wrote the book just to remind myself of my brother, and then after I finished I had the book hidden away. It was like, what's the point of talking about what happened? Lurgio and I are both Quechua, which is an indigenous group in the Andes. We're around the same age, so we both grew up in the 80s, in the middle of the war. A war where around 70% of the people killed were indigenous, like us. Okay, so I lived, or um, I was born in a place where snow fell, called Akiraje. It's up in the mountains, about 13,000 feet in altitude. So we also had a ravine nearby where we could grow corn, really good corn. But when I was little, my parents decided to move us to a lower altitude, to the forest. Our new house was right next to the river, and I learned how to swim, how to fish, to just enjoy nature. It was called Quillabamba, which is also the name of a city in Peru. But the place where Lurgio lived was a small rural village where pretty much everyone spoke Quechua. For a long time after the war, we couldn't say the actual names of the places we were from because there was still so much fear. Quillabamba was still very remote back then. The roads were bad, and normally it took days to get there from the nearest city, Ayacucho. But then, small private planes started showing up. The planes were bringing narcotraffickers, who were buying coca leaves to make cocaine. We'd be at school and we'd take off running when we saw a plane. It scrambled to see the planes land. It became totally normal for us. Around this time, his life at home also changes because Lurio's mother gets very sick. No one in town can help her. In fact, no one even knows for sure what she has, and there's no way for his family to get her to a doctor. The closest medical center was a three-day trek away. A trek that had to be made on foot, over the mountain. So it was obviously impossible to get help for her. And unable to get care, his mother dies. His dad struggles to farm and also take care of his kids, which leaves Lurgio and his three brothers basically on their own. So his older brother, Ruben, steps in. My older brother became a sort of mother to us. He learns to forage and hunt, so there would always be something for the other kids to eat. Hey, in la selva, peso Whatever the forest had to offer, that was what we cooked. Sometimes we went hunting monkeys. My brother cooked for us. He washed our clothes. He took care of us. My 
presidente de su aula, siempre había sacado diploma. Eso, eso, tipo era. My brother was smart and outgoing. He was always president of his class, always got good marks. He was that kind of a person, organized, disciplined, and he protected us. He always told us that he would protect us. We got along really, really well. During this time, people from the university in Ayacucho are starting to hold meetings in villages like Lurgios. The meetings were often held in secret at night. Teachers and students would talk about it at school. At the time, I was in elementary school and I'd hear about it there. They talk about a movement called Shining Path. The basic idea is that there's going to be a revolution to overthrow the Peruvian state. Its leader says it has to be violent, but in the end, it's going to make the country more equal and just. Sometimes at these meetings, people also pass around flyers with Shining Path's leader on them, this guy with a square jaw and big glasses, who calls himself Presidente Gonzalo. What Lurio doesn't know yet is that this guy's real name is Abimael Guzman. Leader of the Maoist rebel group, The Shining Path. Abimael Guzman, a professor of philosophy. Presidente Gonzalo, as he'd like to be called, enjoyed near cult status within the rebel group. Abimael Guzman was a philosophy professor in the city of Ayacucho. He came from a middle-class family, from a big city in the coast. He wasn't indigenous, he wasn't working class, he didn't speak Quechua, and he knew almost nothing about the rural Andes. But he claimed he was going to liberate millions of us, us being indigenous people and the working poor. Looking back now, especially if you're not from Peru, it's probably hard to understand why anyone would follow this guy. But you have to remember, in Peru, indigenous people have been treated like second-class citizens for centuries. Since the arrival of the Spanish, we had our land taken. We were forced to serve people who got rich of that land and our work. And we had very little access to education or property. Up till the late 1970s, most indigenous people couldn't vote. Think about that. Lurjo and I are in our 40s now. So that was the reality we grew up with. And on top of all this, the country was unstable and the economy was a mess. So when Abimael Guzman came along promising to change all that, some people were ready to try almost anything. When Shining Path starts showing up in his community, Lurgio is in grade school and doesn't really pay attention. But his brother Ruben is five years older and already a teenager. My brother started to talk about it at home, how he wanted to join. At first, Ruben just meets up with other people in town to talk. But soon, talking isn't enough. 
one day he left, he was recruited into Shining Path. And we were left there, always watching the road, always wondering when he'd return. And I remember thinking of another time I'd cried over him when we were younger. We'd gone down to the river to fish and decided to go swimming. The river was running really high, and at one point he was swept away. I run along the bank trying to help, but I couldn't get him out. Eventually he was pulled out, and I remember feeling like I had never loved my brother more than in that moment. Sometimes I think this is part of why I looked so hard for him after he joined the guerrillas. After Rubén joins Shining Path, about a year passes with no news of him. My father thought there were these reports on the radio where they would talk about where people from Shining Path had been killed or captured. And all of us at home, we figured my brother had already died. But then one day he showed up. Shining Path had given him permission to leave for a few days, and so he came to see how we were. When Rubén appears, Lurgio's family crowds around just to touch him. They spend the time cooking and sharing food and talking, but soon he tells them he has to return. Well, we told him not to go back. Take care of yourselves, he said. I'll come back soon. And then he was gone. I was 12. At the time, my brother was 17 or 18. He was also just a kid. And after that, we would always look at the road leading into town, waiting for his return. But he never came back. Meanwhile, with Lurgio now the oldest kid in the house, his father had been sending him to visit an aunt in another town to get food at the local market. And one day, after his brother had returned to Shining Path, Lurgio makes that trip to visit his aunt. But this time, he runs into someone he knows from another village, a guy named Raúl. And Raúl says he's also joined Shining Path. Raúl tells Lurgio about the movement and how kids Lurgio's age are also joining and going out to fight. As he listens, Lurgio thinks about his older brother and how much he wants to see him. So I asked him, do you know Rubén? And he said yes, that he knew him. And then Raúl makes Lurgio an offer. And he says to me, if you want to go find him, you can come with me when I go back. I wanted to reunite with my brother, see him again. And I was also kind of curious to see things for myself, because he had told me that even children were heading off to fight in this war. Lurgio goes back to his aunt's house and says he's leaving right away. 
Well, she broke down crying, asking me where I was going, but I said nothing. I think I packed myself a snack of toasted corn and cheese, and then I set out. And then, once he meets up with Raul again, they go deeper into the mountains. Because Shining Path is constantly on the move, the two boys spend days wandering before they find some scouts who know Raúl and bring them to the nearest camp. I'm pretty introverted, quiet, I'm serious. And it was this room filled of people singing, playing the guitar, dancing. There were also guns lying around, stuff like that. It was all kind of, honestly, it was kind of shocking. There are about 40 people, men, women, and children. We had been searching for them for a long time, and I felt I was finally going to see my brother. And there was also a feeling like I was going to belong to this communist guerrilla group. In a way, I guess I felt content. But the small group he's found isn't the same one that Ruben's part of, so he has to wait. And in the meantime, the other members of the group teach him about the ideology of Shining Path. We were indoctrinated into this idea that sooner or later we were going to die and that we needed to spill blood for the movement. Every day this is what they were teaching us. They said it was our life now. They said they can't ever be snitches or deserters, none of that. This is what you chose, they told us, and now you're here. We'll be back after this break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, back to Marco. One of the most important rules was that those who were considered disloyal to Shining Path were enemies and deserved to die. Lurgio and most of the people in Shining Path will never meet the group's leader, Abimael Guzmán, but they are supposed to enforce his rules. We would all take part, children, adults, everyone. We would be divided into groups and assigned tasks. This group will be strangling some people. This group will be killing. We had no choice but to listen to our commanders. I, I mean, we were in a war. The first time Lurgio is sent on one of these missions, he's assigned to a group that's going after a man who's supposed to be a snitch. It was night, the roads were muddy, it was raining, 
birds were flying around, these birds that people in my hometown always said was a bad omen, that they were connected to people who'd been cursed. Since it's very dark, everyone in the group holds hands while they walk. And eventually, they come to a small house. That's where the snitch lives, the group leader told us. And right at the moment, I, I was really afraid. We moved closer. The people who had been chosen went inside. People like me, who still didn't have the experience, we stayed outside to keep watch. The people who knew what they were doing surrounded the place and went in. And that's when the wailing started to come from inside. It was the husband who was the snitch, and surely his wife and his children had been sleeping. Then they shot him. And the man ran out in panic. His children and wife were crying, saying not to kill him. The people I was with finished the man off by kicking him. They grabbed him and they just kept kicking his entire body, his head. Eventually, the man laid on the ground nearly unconscious. And then, so he could finally die, a female member of the group shot him in the head. It was terrifying. After I had nightmares about it for almost a whole week, this dead man showing up in my dreams. Remember, Lurio was just 12 years old. There were hundreds, hundreds of indigenous peasants murdered. They were the same people that we were supposed to be fighting for. Eventually, Lurgio does find his brother, Rubén. Only a few months have passed since Lurgio joined, but he says it felt like years. And by this point, things are different with his brother, because the strict dogma of the party also meant there were rules about how people were supposed to interact, including with their own family members. No había hermanos, padres, madres allá. O sea, todos éramos compañeros, éramos... We were all supposed to be comrades and blood brothers in the movement, and so we were supposed to love everyone the same. There was no such thing as my father or my brother. For example, if your own father was a snitch, well, you were still supposed to be willing to kill him. The idea was that we were all supposed to be exactly the same. No close friends, none of that. It was all pretty cold. Now his brother, who had been so affectionate in taking such good care of him, acted how the group had taught him to. When I saw my brother, all he would say to me was, it's great to have you here, just follow the party's orders. Because either you followed orders exactly, or you were the enemy. <laughs> This is a recording of Abimael Guzman. There's not a lot of tape of him, and the quality is bad. But what he's saying is, the young have to be spirited, energetic, strong, because they are the future. 
Lurio saw his brother a few more times, but just a couple of months after he'd finally found him, the Peruvian army ambushed Rubén's group, and his brother was killed. Before his death, my brother gave me a book, Five Essays on Philosophy by Mao Zedong. I always kept that book with me, though I never actually read it until much later, after the war, as part of an anthropology class. When Lurio was given the news, someone just told him that Rubén had died fighting and that he had been buried with a communist flag. That was it. Lurio was crushed, but not surprised. Eso, eso pensaba, no, no, no tanto tan, tan odio, sino es la muerte misma y que tenía que hacer más rojo el río de Abimel Guzmán. I didn't feel any hatred. It was just death coming for me, further tinting the river red for Amimael Guzmán. It was all for the party. The more blood we shed, the more we made it into history, and the closer the revolution was. One of the craziest things about the war was that even though Guzman talked about helping indigenous people, we were the ones who suffered the most violence because the war happened mainly in the countryside, which was majority indigenous. And it wasn't just Shining Path recruiting and killing people. The army also used the war as a reason to target indigenous people. I was from a rural community. My comrades were from different rural communities. We all were children of farmers, children of poor people. Like I said before, around 70% of the people killed were indigenous. Later, Shining Path was found to be responsible for about half of these deaths, and at least a third were attributed to the Peruvian army. Some studies say it could be more. As for Abimael Guzman, we had no idea where he was. All we heard was that he was watching us from up high. He was like a god. <laughs> About a year and a half later, Lurgio's group is on the run. The army is after them. Lurgio is 14. Es la montaña más alta de Ayacucho, es Rasuilca, se llama. No hay casa, no hay nada, es rocas, ahí dormían. Algunas bizcachas pasan por ahí y los cóndores que andan volando a ver quién muere. We were near the highest mountain in Ayacucho province. It's called Rasuilca. It's a place where there are no houses, nothing, just rocks. The only animals you might see are some Andean rabbits, or maybe some condors circling, waiting to see who dies. Most nights, they've been hiding out in a cave. 
but there are a lot of people in the group who are sick and injured. And one day, they move too slowly to get back before dark, so they sleep where they are, in the open air. Which is lucky for them, because the army is closing in, and had been waiting for them by the cave. Alguien dijo, según Dios no creo, pero las montañas o algo así no vayan, algo así. Someone must have warned us. I highly doubt it was God, but someone, the mountains surely, made it so we didn't go back there that night. Amanecí el día, pero había amanecido y estábamos alistándonos para, para ver a los enfermos cómo estarán. En eso estábamos. The next morning, I was getting ready to check on the people who were sick. Others were starting to cook some potatoes. Uh, there was a light drizzle and a lot of fog. And then... As the fog lifted, we suddenly realized we were surrounded by the army. They started to yell and swear at us, calling us terrorists, and then, then they started to shoot. There were so many bullets flying. They even used grenades. Lurgio panics and realizes he can't get away, so he falls to the ground as if he's been shot. But one of the soldiers realizes he's not hurt and aims his gun at him. The soldier starts to talk about whether or not to shoot him. And someone said, don't kill him. And they didn't. Lurgio starts yelling. They taught us that as guerrillas we had to die yelling, long live Marx, long live Lenin. So that was what I did, because, well, I, I knew I was going to die. I thought everything was over. And so there I am, yelling, long live Marx, long live Lenin. But they didn't hear me, maybe because the attack was still going on, so there was a lot of gunfire, I don't know. But they didn't hear me, and this lieutenant had decided not to kill me. Y este me dijo, Vamos. And then the lieutenant says to me, let's go. As they walk, Lurgio stays quiet. All he's thinking about is running away as soon as he gets a chance. Me dieron mochila. No, no, nada. Pasamos la laguna. Bajito está la laguna grande. They gave me a backpack, nothing. We passed a lake, a large one. The soldiers shot at some Shining Path scouts. Uchurajai está abajo. Uchurajai, que es donde mataron los ocho periodistas. Descansamos. Me dieron algunas de sus comidas que traían atún, esas cosas. Comimos. No pasó nada. The village of Uchurajai was below us, where several years earlier some journalists had been mistaken for Shining Path and killed. We stopped and had the lunch. They gave me some of their food, canned tuna. No, nothing happened. And soon I forgot... I forgot that I was supposed to be trying to escape. That was when I started to enter into a new life. Once they get to the base, the lieutenant makes it clear that Lurgio is going to live there and train to be a soldier for the army. He remembers that during his time on the base, at one point there were about eight kids there. The youngest, he says, was eight or nine years old. Like many indigenous people in the Andes at that time, Lurgio's first language is Quechua, which means he now has to learn Spanish. Los soldaditos no eran de Ayacuchanos, eran todos de la costa. 
The soldiers weren't local people from the mountains. They were people from coastal cities like Lima, Callao, and other places by the sea where Spanish was spoken. So the language was just drilled into my head. She learns that in the army, just like in Shining Path, there's a system of order and that obedience is very important. You had to do what you were told. The hierarchy, the discipline was very, very strict. The obedience they demanded was just like Shining Path. I noticed a few small differences like the fact that the army was a bit more advanced because they had food, they had more guns, but the basic way of living was exactly the same. In the army, he has to cook, run drills, and patrol. He also learns the army's chants, which are pretty similar to the ones he learned with Shining Path. In fact, they are often set to the same music, like one song called Adios Pueblo de Ayacucho. Shining Path, they made up their own lyrics about killing soldiers. And now, in the army, they made up lyrics about killing terrorists from Shining Path. We would sing every day before going to sleep and the first thing after waking up. Unconsciously, it grows on you. You actually begin hating them. I was taught that this was all Shining Path's fault, that we're at war because of those terrorists. We believed that if we killed all the terrorists, we would have peace. Indoctrination into the army also relied on glorifying violence. Lurgio remembers prisoners being brought to the military base and trapped in a pen. He actually recognized a few of them from his time as a guerrilla. The army would torture these prisoners, deprive them of food. Some nights, they'd pick one to take out and kill. And just like with Shining Path, Lurgio was told the violence was for a good cause. It was for our national flag, out of respect for our president, for our nation, for those living in cities. That's why we were fighting and spilling our blood. Some people in Peru talk about the war like the violence was only shining path. But during the conflict, the Peruvian army killed tens of thousands of people. Here's just one example. The same year Lurgio was captured, in 1985, a new president was elected, Alan Garcia. He decided that his government would show how tough it could be on Shining Path. And a few weeks after he entered office, army troops raided the village of Acomarca, near where Lurgio is from which was supposedly full of people from Shining Path. The soldiers rounded up more than 60 Quechua people, men, women, children, and put them inside a church. Then they shot them all and burned their bodies. They claimed all of them were terrorists. The mass killing occurred at the height of Peru's bloody civil conflict 
with Shining Path guerrillas, whose aim was to overthrow the state. It was just one of many massacres carried out by the government during those years. For years, this was Lurgio's life, hunting down members of Shining Path, the group he was once part of, and participating in attacks against anyone the army said was an enemy of the state, until Abimael Guzman was finally captured in 1992 at a house in a wealthy part of Lima. Through meticulous police work, they found Guzman's safe house. The leader of Shining Path was captured without firing a shot. While people like Glurio had been fighting and dying in the countryside, Guzman had been hiding out in a comfortable house in the capital with several women. Before they presented him to the public, Guzman was given a black and white striped prison uniform. The new president, Alberto Fujimori, said he thought it would be better if the capture looked like something out of a movie. So Guzman was dressed in the uniform and put in a cage, which was covered with sheets. Once the cameras were rolling, the sheets were pulled off, and there he was. Overweight, bearded, and pacing the cage like an animal at a zoo. Shouting about how this wasn't defeat. It was just a setback. Nos ha enseñado a morir así, firme, vivando, y escapando sería cobarde. They had taught us to die standing up straight, that trying to escape was cowardly. Maybe this is why when I was captured by the army, I didn't try to run. It was crazy what that Abimael taught us. Abimael, who turned out was hiding with his girlfriend. <laughs> what insanity. But when Lurgio looks back, he understands why he and others were willing to fight. Pero hay una sed de justicia en nuestras comunidades. Hay una, este, hay conflicto, hay discriminación. There's a thirst for justice in our communities. Peru is full of conflict, discrimination, inequality, poverty, and so we're thirsty for justice. Si alguien que venga, por ejemplo, a Bemel Guzmán, dije, bueno, yo voy a luchar por los más pobres. La explotación del hombre por el hombre se acabará. And if someone comes along, like Abimael Guzman, for example, and says, hey, I'm going to fight for the poor, for the common man, I'll put a stop to this. It sounds good, right? But what's not good is the goddamn ideology, the idea that we needed to punish people, that we needed to destroy their houses and blow up bridges, that we needed to kill poor people. Hasta los animales no matan a sus crías, cuidan a sus crías. Entonces aparece este señor para matar a nuestros pobres. Even animals don't kill their own young. And this guy appears and convinces us to kill those we are closest to. Tanto duele, duele mucho. Y ahora que, que diga, este, es el costo de la guerra, así es la guerra. No, eso no es la justificación. It's excruciating to remember. And that he would then go and say, well, that's the cost of war. No, there was no justification, none. 
Of course, we need to fight for justice, but not that way. Today, Lurio is an anthropologist and writer based in the city of Ayacucho, where he teaches at the same university where Abimael Guzman once taught philosophy. Lurio's work focuses on how indigenous communities process the trauma of the war. He recently published his second book, called Shogun, which is a letter to the lieutenant who spared his life and brought him into the army. Part of why he writes and talks about what happened is to remember all the people he knew who were killed. And it's also to challenge the idea that there is a single version of history, where the war is simple and easy to understand. Because while that might feel comforting for people who were far from the worst of the violence, it makes very little sense to those who actually had to live on the front lines. Sí, pues había que imaginar, había que pensar, había, por ejemplo, decía este nuestro partido, bueno, el próximo año triunfamos, vamos a arrasar, vamos a entrar a la ciudad. You, you have to imagine, for example, that according to Shining Path, we were always close to victory, that we were going to enter cities and take them over. That was what we imagined. There were these posters that always showed the guerrillas as this huge, well-armed mass of people taking power for the poor. But in reality, none of it was true. It was all pure fiction. Y cuando estaba en el ejército también, los decíamos, ah, los terrucos están ahí. ¿Cuántos habrán? Miles, 500 mil desplazándose. No, nada de esto. And then when I was in the army, we always said, the terrorists are right there. How many of them do you think there are? And then we'd be like, oh, there are thousands, 500,000 of them marching across the country. And in reality, it was nothing like that. Shining Path groups were generally 20, 30, maybe 50 people. The largest of them never exceeded 500, never more than that. Because most of the people that supported Shining Path didn't do it because they were believers. They didn't join the ranks. They provided support, like food or shelter, because it was their children who had joined. I'm sure my father did this in silence. Everyone else hated us. There was never the massive support that the army told everyone there had been in the early years. That was a fabrication of the government to demonize, to look for someone to blame. A veces uno sospecha el poder mismo construye al enemigo. Uno puede construir al enemigo de la nada. Sometimes it seems like power itself is what it dreams up an enemy. And having an easy enemy to believe in can be very convenient. Next time on Strongman. I felt like I had just lost my mom with her rights being terminated. I can just hear her voice in the back of my head telling me, you're native, don't you ever forget that. Strongman is a production of Vice News. It's hosted by me, Hint Hassan. This episode was narrated by Marco Aviles, with voice acting by Diego Senor. 
Stephanie Kariuki is our senior producer. Our producers are Peter Langstanson and Pulavi Kotamasu. Our associate producer is Sam Egan. Sound design and original score by Pran Bandi. Annie Aviles is our executive producer. Kay Osborne is the VP of Vice Audio. Special thanks to Michelle Harris for fact-checking. Special thanks to Lorgio Gavilan, Jose Carlos Aguero, Dr. Americo Mendoza More, Adriana Tapia, Marie Mendoza, Gabriel Jimenez, and the Center for Documentation and Research at the Lugar de Memoria in Peru. We know that podcasts say this all the time, but if you could please take a moment to rate and subscribe. It helps others to find the show and it helps us to keep bringing you podcasts like Strongman. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.